بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله uh, we've reached the next lesson of the tafsir of the short surahs of the Quran course and tonight we're moving on to surah al-asr after completing in the previous weeks al-adiyat al-qari'a and at-takathur tonight lesson is about surah al-asr and as we know that surah al-asr is one of the shortest surahs the shortest and most concise chapters in the Quran However, this doesn't take anything away from the power and from the, 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 the great lessons that the surah contains. And we will go through them tonight, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. Firstly, concerning the virtue of the surah, Imam Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, he mentions this narration in his great book of tafsir. How Amr ibn al-As, radiallahu anhu, was aware of the Qur'an's miracle due to the surah. Khair. So it has been mentioned that Amr ibn al-As, radiallahu anhu, he went to visit Musaylamah al-Kathab, the liar al-Musaylamah, one who claimed to be a prophet. And this was after the sending of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as a messenger and as a prophet, and also before Amr had accepted Islam. So upon his arrival, Musaylamah said to him, what has been revealed to your friend Muhammad during this time? So Amr said, a short and concise surah has been revealed to him. And so Musaylama said, what is it? And Amr replied, وَالْعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرِ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَتَوَاصَوْا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاصَوْا بِالصَّبْرِ طيب. And of course the, the explanation and the, the translation we will get to بإذن الله تعالى. So Musaylama, he sat and he thought for some time and then he said, indeed something similar has also been revealed to me. So Amr asked, what is this? And he replied, Oh wabr, oh wabr, you are only two ears and a chest, and the rest of you is digging and burrowing. And then he said to Amr, what do you think? And so Amr replied and said, by Allah, verily you know that I know that you are lying. Oh wabr, oh wabr, you are only two ears and a chest. Wabr is a small furry animal, like a mammal that resembles actually a cat, as Ibn Kathir will, we will see that he explains. He says, oh wabr, oh wabr, you are only two ears and a chest. And the rest of you is digging and burrowing. And this was his, you know, something that he compared to Wal-Asr. The Surah Wal-Asr. This is what he, his comparison, his equivalent that he, that he claimed was revealed to him. But Amr said to him, by Allah, verily you know that I know that you are lying. Right? This is nothing compared to Wal-Asr. So even Amr ibn al-As in this case here, he acknowledged, he, he, he understood. And he saw that... There was something special about the Surah Wal-Asr. There was something powerful about it. As for the words of Musaylama that he made up, it was just words that really had no backing to it, that had no, uh, no value to it, nothing behind it, subhanAllah. Ibn Kathir, he said that Wabur is a small animal that resembles a cat, and the largest thing on it is its ears and its torso, while the rest of it is ugly. So Musaylama intended by the composition of these nonsensical verses to produce something which would oppose the Qur'an. Yet it was not even convincing to the idol worshipper of that time. This was Amr ibn al-As at the time, was an idol worshipper. But even he saw through this. Even he knew this is nothing compared to the to al-Asr. 
At-Tabarani records from Abdullah ibn Hassan ibn uh, Abi Medina that he said, Whenever two men from the companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa used to meet, they would not part until one of them had recited Surah Al-Asr in its entirety to the other, and one of them had given the greetings of peace to the other. And this hadith is authenticated by Sheikh Al-Albani rahimahullah. So what does this hadith teach us? It teaches us at least two things. And that is that before you depart from a brother, before you depart and before you take your leave, the sunnah according to these companions was that they would recite wal-asr. They would recite this entire surah. So the one who decides wal-asr inna al-insan lafi khusr illa alladhina amanu wa amanu salihati wa tawasaw bil-sabri wa tawasaw bil wa tawasaw bil-haqqi wa tawasaw bil-sabr. Right? He used to recite the entire surah. So this is actually then a sunnah that before we leave a gathering or before we leave a meeting, for example, even if it's just two people, a sunnah is to recite wal-asr in its entirety. And of course, the second sunnah is to give salam. And this, of course, is something that is well known. Alhamdulillah, that we greet before we leave. Assalamu alaikum wa assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and so forth. Um, so a benefit from this hadith is that before we depart or before we leave a gathering or a sitting, or a meeting, a sunnah also is to recite Surah Al-Asr. Imam Shafi'i rahimahullah, he said about the surah, if the people were to ponder on the surah, it would be sufficient for them. It would be sufficient for them. We will discuss this at the end of the dars bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. So we move on to the tafsir of the surah, wherein Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he starts of the surah by saying, Wal-Asr. Wal-Asr. Tayyib, this wow once again is a wow of al-qasam. We've spoken about this in the previous surahs where Allah swears by something. The wow of qasam, you know, when he takes an oath, he says, by so-and-so, wal-asr. Yeah, he swears by al-asr. Allah swears by al-asr. Ibn Kathir explains and he says, al-asr is the time in which the movements of the children of Adam occur, whether good or evil. Right? It's the time of the day. It's the time of the day when... People are moving around whether it's good or bad, but it refers to time. Malik narrated from Zayd ibn Aslam that he said it is the evening, right? According to Zayd ibn Aslam, Al-Asr refers to the evening. And this is the view of a number of scholars. Some of them said it, it, it refers to the waqt of Asr. You know, like the Salatul Asr which happens at the end of the day, towards the evening, right? They said it happens, uh, this is what Allah was swearing by, because Salatul Asr, is also the best of salah, right? It comes in hadith, it's salatul wusta, as the Quran also mentions. It's the best of salah, it's the best of the fara'id. So Allah could be swearing by that as well, or by this time period of al-asr. However, the first view is the popular opinion, meaning that it is not restricted to that time period alone. Sheikh ibn Uthaymin, rahimahullah, he said, um, it is said that it refers to the time at the end of the day, like the evening, as that is the best time of the day, the time of Asr. And he said it is also said that it refers to the to time in general, to Zaman. To Zaman or time in general. Right? And this is the more correct of the two views due to what happens of different situations, the changing of affairs among the people, and so forth. Right? Therefore, Al-Asr is the time that people live and experience. It's the time when people are moving about and so forth. So Al-Asr is general. Right? It's, it's not restricted to the evening. Rather, it is uh, a general for time by the passage or, or, or by, the, by the by the passage of time, right? By the passage of of time. 
It's time changes between times of prosperity and hardship. Right? When we speak about time, time is something that is always there. So there's times of prosperity, times of hardship. There's times of war, there's times of peace. There's times of health, there's times of sickness. Righteousness and, and sin. There's times of darkness, there's times of light. Iman is kufur. There's times of coming, people are coming, some people are going. This ummah is coming, this ummah is going. It's times of work, this time of rest, etc. Right? All of this and every moment is included in Al-Asr. Allah swears by Al-Asr. Al-Asr contains all of these things and more. Right? It, it's, it's always changing. Time. Allah says that time, you know, it changes with the people. It changes. Sometimes it's good, then it's bad. Then it's this, then it's that. Right? This is the days. This is how they go. One day for you, one day against you. But this is all part of time. So Allah swears by this concept of time. And it includes all of these changes. Right? Time of good, time of bad and so forth. And Allah knows best. Then Allah says, إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرِ Surely, or indeed, humanity is in grave loss. خُسْر Grave loss. Firstly, the word insan. So some scholars said the word insan means the disbeliever, al-kafir, as stated by Ibn Abbas. Some said insan here means the kafir is in grave loss. Others said it refers to a group of the mushrikeen. They are the ones who are in a great loss. Whilst other scholars said, again, it refers to something more general than that. It refers to all of humanity. That all of humanity are in grave loss. They are lafi khusr. Right? They are all in grave loss. The word khusr means loss or shortcoming or destruction and so forth, right? It means something along those lines. All of the meanings are similar as stated by Al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah, in his tafsir. Ibn Uthaymin said the word Al-Insan is general. And why is it general? What's the proof? Because it has the attached particle of Al, which denotes generality when attached to a noun. So when you have a noun in the Quran, like Insan is a noun, and it has an Al attached to it, then usually that is there to show that this is something general and not something restricted, right? Not something specific. So here when Allah speaks about insan is in loss, it refers to something general, yani all of insan, al-insan. Al, that al is attached, therefore making it general. This is a, from the rules of usul al-fiqh and how we interpret um, these words in the Quran and so forth and in the Arabic language. So therefore the meaning is that all of insan is a loss, is in loss. All of insan this is the hal. This is the state. This is the condition. They are in a state of severe or grave loss. Tayyip. So this applies to all of insan. So Allah swears upon the state and the condition of insan. Wal-asr. He swears by this. Then he says, Inna al-insan lafi khusr. So this is the answer to what he swore. By the, to what he swore. He takes an oath. And now comes the jawab. The answer to what he swore. Right? He swears by this. That this is the state of insan. This is the state of humanity, that they are in a state of loss, severe grave loss. In all of their conditions, they are in a state of loss. In the dunya, they are in a state of loss. In the akhirah, they will be in a state of, of loss, shortcoming, destruction. This is the reality of insan. This is what Allah swore by when he said, Wal-Asr. 
except for those whom Allah excluded from this. So when we say all of insan, we mean all of insan, right? But then Allah makes an exception. In the next ayah, He makes an exception when He says, إِلَّا Illa, we know is an exception, it means except for those whom, right? So Allah then will make an exception in the next ayah. Tayyib, this statement is emphasized by the wow al-qasam, the inna and the lam. If we look at this ayah or this statement that Allah makes, it starts off by saying wal-asr. That's Allah swearing by time, by the past, by the passage of time or by time. So this already is something that is emphasized. When he takes an oath, it's there to show that this is important and this is something that is uh, serious. Then Allah says, the answer to what he's swearing by, the, the, the subject is what? Inna al-insana. This inna means surely, indeed. Some translations say verily. So inna is a harful tawkid. It's used for emphasis. Inna is used for Emphasis, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا is not the same like الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا like we find in the Quran means and those whom those who believe uh, or الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا those who believe but when we say إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا it's more emphasized indeed those who believe so the word إِنَّ yeah, is used for emphasis surely indeed or verily insan is لَفِي خُسُر not just في خُسُر not just in a state of loss that's for emphasis. So we've got three uh, points of emphasis here. The wow when Allah swore and he said wal-asr, that's already emphasis. That's already magnifying the issue, showing the status of the, the severity and the seriousness of the issue. Then he used the then he used the, the inna, which is for surely, verily indeed. And then he used lafi, not just fi. That lam there, which is attached to the fi, fi means in. Insan is in loss, but not just in loss, lafi khusr is also there for emphasis. The lamb, that lamb is also used for emphasis. So Allah used three ways, you know, to emphasize the statement that by time, insan is in a state of loss. There's no doubt about this. Allah is making it an emphatic statement. Wallahu musta'an. So before we move on to the exception, Allah swore by time. And what is the significance of this? Right? We've mentioned whenever we speak about the, the, the qasams that Allah mentions that there's some significance. Like we spoke about wal-duha. You know, Allah swore by al-duha. And we spoke about how that fits into the context of that surah. So likewise here, Allah swears by time. And this first and foremost already proves that there's something uh, special about time. This time is a matter of importance and status. So when Allah swears by it, it means that this is something of importance and it has a great status. In fact, there's a hadith that states, Do not curse time for Allah is time. La dahar. Do not curse the dahar which is time. dahar. For indeed Allah is time. The hadith is a Sahih Muslim and there's various wordings of this hadith. What does this hadith mean? Where Allah says, do not curse time. Because Allah is time. What it means is that Allah is the one who controls time. Time has no ability. Right? Time has no ability. Time doesn't do anything. Doesn't bring any good, nor does it bring any harm. Time just carries on. 
It's a creation of Allah, ultimately. And the Arabs in Jahiliyyah, when anything befell them of calamity or an accident or a disease or anything bad happened, they would blame time. They would blame time. In fact, the Quran mentions that they would say, that there is nothing in this that will bring about our demise illa dahr wama yuhlikuna illa dahr wama yuhlikuna illa dahr that this is just hayat of this dunya and so forth and nothing is going to bring about our destruction except for time except for time that's what's going to destroy us eventually understand and then the tafsir of this ayah al-shafi'i and other great imams they mentioned this hadith this hadith is explaining where they went wrong it's not time that brings about your demise. It's not time that brings about good or bad or evil. Because Allah is the one who is in control of time. Time is not doesn't work by itself. It has no ability. So therefore we do not curse time. Because when we curse time, we are actually cursing the one who is in control of time. And that is Allah Azza wa Jal. So Ad-Dahar is not the name of Allah. Time is not the name of Allah, no. What's meant here is that Allah is the one who controls time. Time has no control. So therefore we do not curse time as the Arabs in Jahiliyyah used to do. Rather we as believers, we believe in the decree of Allah. We believe everything happens by the will and the decree of Allah Azza wa Jal. And not by the decree of time. So we do not believe that this is a, a, a lucky time or an unlucky time or a bad luck time to be alive or to be living and so forth. No. And in our context today, Living in 2020, the pandemic and so forth, many people are making these type of statements. Oh, it's 2020 and you know, we can't wait for 2020 to be over, things are going to become better and so forth. The reality is the Lord of 2020 is the Lord of 2019 and then the Lord of 2021. He is the same Allah Azza wa Jal who is in control of everything. It's not 2020. It's not about cursing 2020 or blaming 2020. When we do this, in reality, we are blaming the one who brought the pandemic, the one who decided this is going to happen, the one who brought the, um, the recession, the one who brought this climate that we are in, the economic crisis that we are in. It's Allah Azza wa Jal that's in control, not 2020. So when we curse 2020 and we complain about 2020 and so forth, we should keep this in mind that this is actually something that should not be done. And this could enter into this hadith with way. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, do not curse time for Allah is time. Meaning Allah is the one who controls time. So whatever is happening, whatever is coming our way, if it's time of difficulty, we should remember and realize it comes from Allah azza wa jal. This is the decree of Allah. It's not time that is bringing about this bad or difficulty or harm and so forth. That's something very important to keep um, in mind and Allah azza wa jal knows best. Some scholars mentioned that Allah swearing by time means that time is a witness against mankind and their state of loss. So when Allah swears by Al-Asr, He says, Wal-Asr, He swears by time. And then He said, indeed, mankind is in grave loss. That swearing that He is taking, that oath that which He swears by, is a witness for what's to follow. Yani when He swears by Al-Asr, the next point, Al-Asr is a witness for that. Yani, Al-Asr, time is a witness for the fact that man is in loss. If there's ever a witness after Allah Azza wa Jal, if there's ever a witness after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that mankind is in a state of loss, then time can be a witness. Because time has seen, time has seen what man has caught up, time has seen, time has seen what man has busied himself with. 
how he has neglected time, how he has wasted time, how he has sinned, how he has left off the wajibat, and so forth. So some scholars mentioned that when Allah swears by time, this is a sign that time is a witness against mankind, that they, that they are truly in a state of loss, subhanAllah. Other ulama mentioned that time is also the capital of one's life. Time is the capital of one's life, meaning the more we waste our time, the more we waste our precious life and our precious opportunities. And how true this is, how true this is that Allah swears by time and then He emphatically says, indeed, mankind is surely in a state of grave loss. And, and really, it, it, one of the reasons we're in a state of loss is because we don't make use of our time. It's because we waste so much time and because we spend our time in haram and in, you know, things that have no benefit as opposed to spending time with things that are of utmost benefit. And this is the reality of most people. Most people. Or we could say, all people, as the Quran says, except for the exception that we are going to get to be so, uh, shortly, inshallah. The hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam where he said in Sahih Bukhari, Ni'matani maghboonun fihima kathirun minan nas as-sihatu wal-faraag. Two blessings which most people or many people squander. They are negligent of. It's good health and free time. It's good health and al-faraag, which is your free time. So subhanAllah, this is again hadith. And we believe this hadith 100%. Not only, well, firstly, because it's sahih and it was said by the Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but also we can we believe this hadith also because of experience, without a doubt, how many of us make use of our time. How many of us can stand in front of Allah and say, we've protected this bounty, that we have upheld the obligations of this bounty. That if Allah asked us to on, on Qiyamah, how did you spend your time? Was it wasted or was it spent in the right path? Was it spent fi sabilillah? Was it spent in goodness? Subhanallah. And again, you know, we have to, we mention again the, 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 this, the, you know, the, the time that we are in of social media and how much time we spend on our phone and our computers and our iPads and our, our tablets and so forth. How much time we spend on WhatsApp, watching videos on, on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and, and all of these different avenues of social media. The amount of hours that the general person spends on these things compared to the amount of time that they spend in the worship of Allah or just sitting with the book of Allah, the perfect kalam of Allah, this perfect uncreated speech of Allah. Subhanallah, this is the reality. You know, as the ulama, they said, ask a person, we lost it, recite the Quran, he will say, a few days ago, on Friday, on this day, on that day. Why? Because no, there's no time. That's the excuse. But how many time do we spend on WhatsApp? How much time do we spend on this? How much time do we spend on Facebook? How much time do we spend on YouTube? How much time do we spend on ila akhirihi, etc. Subhanallah. So this is the reality. So what we need to understand is time is the capital of our life. We make use of time. Today, we will reap the benefits in the akhirah. We are going to waste our time. We, as if we waste our time in this dunya, we are going to sit with regret in the akhirah. So time is... Of those bounties which most people squander. It's one of those things. And again, when we grow up, then we sit with regret. 
before we even die, before the Akhirah, in fact, when we grow up, we said to the, oh, I wish I did this better. I wish I spent more time as a youngster doing this. I wish I spent more time as a youngster memorizing the Quran or memorizing Hadith or doing this or, you know, subhanAllah, so many things that we can think back of and, and think and think about. Even the elderly, speak to them and they will tell you, I wish, you know, instead of doing this, I did that. And I wasted my time doing this and now I have no time. Now I've got a family, now I've got to work, now I've got to do this, now I've got to do that. Time is gone. It waits for no man. Subhanallah. So Allah's swearing by time has lots of significance. Lots of significance. We've touched on a few of them that are some valid points. And Allah Azza wa knows best. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, and now comes the excluded ones, who those who are not in loss. Right? إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Except for those who have believed. This is point number one. الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ And they've done righteous deeds. وَتَوَاصَوْ بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاصَوْ بِالصَّبْرِ And they advised each other to truth and advised each other to patience. Right? This, these are the excluded ones. They are the ones that are not in loss. So again, Allah swears by time. And then He says, All of insan are surely, indeed, are definitely in a state of grave loss. And then He says, Except for these guys. Except for these people, except for these four groups of people, or, or this group of people that have these four characteristics, the, except for these people who have these four characteristics. The four characteristics, what are they? Number one is they believe in Allah. They are people of, of Iman. Alladina amanu. They are people of Iman. They believe in Allah sincerely and wholeheartedly. With yaqeen, with conviction, with ikhlas, sincerity, without any doubt. They have no doubt about the iman. And this iman of theirs, it includes all the six pillars of iman. We know iman has six pillars. The famous hadith of Jibreel, where Jibreel came and he asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, akhbirni anil iman, tell me about iman. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam responded and he said, and tu'mina billah wa malaykati wa kutubihi wa rusulihi wa lawmi al-akhri wa tu'mina bil qadari khayrihi wa sharrihi. Six things he said that you believe in Allah and his angels and his books and his messengers and the last day and that you believe in the good and the bad divine decree. And that's a famous hadith of Jibreel, um, you know, that we should know, but inshallah. So, true belief in Allah means that you believe in all of these six pillars of Iman, without any doubt. Without any doubt. The scholars also mentioned that there are three categories of people regarding Iman. You get the true, sincere believers, you get the disbeliever, and you get the confused one, the one who's unsure. Obviously, it's the first category of people who will be saved that we are speaking about in this context, that we hope to be of, may Allah make us of them. So we said each part of the six parts of belief or pillars of belief must be fulfilled. The first is to believe in Allah. Now the, the, the details on these things we cannot go into because that requires a series on its own. That This is the whole issue of aqidah and the issue of tawheed. Right? So that is a lengthy discussion. Extremely, that's a subject on its own. But we're going to run through it very briefly. Number one is belief in Allah. What does this mean? That we believe in the oneness of Allah in His Rububiyyah. Meaning He's the only Rabb, the only Lord, the only Creator, the only Provider, the only Manager of all affairs. These are His actions. He has no partner within them. 
and we believe in his uluhiyah, that he's the only one that's worthy of worship. He's the only Rabb, he's the only creator, therefore he's the only one worthy of worship. Our salah, our zakah, our dua, everything directed to Allah alone. No partners in worship, that would be shirk. We worship the dead, shirk, you call upon the dead, shirk. Allah's worship alone, this is Tawheed of Uluhiyah. And then you get Tawheed of Allah's names and attributes. To Him belongs the most perfect and beautiful names. And He has His attributes of perfection as well. Without changing them, distorting them, asking how, etc. Right? Again, that's a subject on its own. Then we have to believe in the angels. Right? What about the angels? Number one, we have to believe that they exist. We have to believe. If somebody says, I don't believe in Malaika, he's kafir. He's, he's disbelieved, he's, he's broken his iman. We believe they exist and they are part of the creation of Allah and they are subject to his rububiyyah. They are not, they are not, malai, they are not lords, they are not gods. They are subject to Allah's rububiyyah, his lordship, and they are subjugated to him. Secondly, we believe in the names of those whose name we know. So Allah has mentioned some of them by name, we have to believe in them. Like Jibreel, Mikael, Israfil, Malik, Ridwan, Munkar, Nakir, Malakul Maut, etc. We also have to believe in the attributes of those whose attributes we know. Like Jibreel is described as having 600 wings, for example, and that his body covered the whole horizon. We believe in this. Any other attribute that is narrated, we have to believe in that as well. And fourthly, we believe in the actions which we know some of them do. Like Jibreel was entrusted with wahi, and Israfil is entrusted with the sounding of the trumpet, Mikael is entrusted with rain, Munkar and Nakir comes with the question of the grave, etc. We have to believe in their jobs and the actions that they were created to do, that which we know of. The others we don't know of, we leave it at that. We know they're there, they are doing jobs for Allah, and that's it, we don't know the specifics of it. Number three, we have to believe in the books, right? This includes four things, firm belief that all of them were revealed from Allah. The books, they came from Allah Azawajal. Allah spoke them in a real sense, His kalam, it's Allah's speech. We believe in this attribute of Allah. Right, this is the way of Ahl Sunnah that he spoke them in a real sense, and some of the books were heard from him from behind a veil, like was was sent to Musa. Uh, some were conveyed by um, an, an angel to the Prophet, like by Jibril. Some were written by Allah's own hand in the Lawh al-Mahfuz. Right, so that's point number one. Point number two is the books that Allah mentioned by name. We must believe in by name the Torah, the Injil, the Zabur, and the scriptures of. Ibrahim and Musa, Suhufi Ibrahim and Musa, and of course the Quran. So at least those five we have to know. The Quran, the Torah, the Injil, the Zabur, and the scriptures that were sent to Musa and Ibrahim alayhi salam. Tayyib. The other scriptures that we don't know the names of, we believe in them in a general sense. We believe in them, that Allah sent these books to them, and so forth. Whatever Allah sent down, we believe in, and that's it. And we have to believe whatever is true of what they say, such as what is said in the Qur'an, and whatever has not been altered or distorted in the previous books. At this point is clear, whatever is mentioned in the Qur'an, we believe in it wholeheartedly, it's the, true, it's the truth without any doubt. Doubt in the Qur'an would be disbelief. And if the other books are proven to be true by the Qur'an, we accept that. But otherwise it's difficult to accept because we know that they have been distorted and altered and changed. Fourthly, we believe that Allah created the Qur'an as a witness over these books, and to confirm them. Um, point number four is we have to believe in them, the, the messengers. A true believer has to believe in the messengers. That Allah sent to every nation a messenger from amongst them. To call them to worship Allah alone. 
and to disbelieve in everything that is worshipped instead of him. They were all truthful, speakers of truth, righteous, wise, pious and honest, and they conveyed everything which Allah sent them with, concealing and altering nothing. They did not add even one letter from themselves or omit anything. This is what we have to believe about the, the messengers. Allah sent them from their own people. Their message was a message of Tawheed and they warned against shirk and they were truthful, upright men, pious and they fulfilled their message. They never changed their message, they never added, they never left anything out and so forth. Also we believe in those messengers whose names we know. right? At least 25 mentioned in the Quran. Muhammad, Ibrahim, Musa, Isa, Dawood, Nuh, Sulaiman, Zakaria, Isa, Adam, etc. Right? The names we don't know, we believe that there were many of them, but we don't know them by name. Only Allah knows their names. Believing in the sound reports that they've been narrated from the messengers. Like we have, alhamdulillah, the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa What sound we have to believe in them. This is part of iman in the messengers. And number four is we follow the laws of the messenger who has been sent to us. Yani Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And number five, we have belief in the last day. We have to believe in the last day, in the akhirah. And this means that whatever Allah has told us in his book and that his messenger sallallahu alayhi has told us about what will happen after death will indeed happen and come to pass. We have to believe this. This includes a number of things. Of them is the signs of the hour. This is part of belief in the akhirah in the last day is that we believe in the signs of the hour that will happen before the last day. We believe in death and things that accompany it when a person is on his deathbed. This is part of belief in the last day that we are going to die. This is the first step. And whatever happens on the deathbed like the pangs of death and the questioning and the pulling of the ruh and so forth, we have to believe in this. What comes after death, namely the trial of the grave, torment or blessing therein, etc. The trumpet blast and resurrection standing in the terrors of the day of resurrection, the details of the gathering and the reckoning, paradise and its delights, the greatest of which will be looking at the face of Allah, which we've covered before, hell and its torment, the most severe of which will be, they're being veiled from seeing the Rabb, that's the greatest khidman or prevention, and we believe in the last day, or sorry, believe in the last day includes acting in accordance with what is implied by these beliefs. And so forth, right? There's a number of points that can be added over there, but we have to believe in the last day and whatever it concludes of the Akhirah and so forth that has been mentioned in the Quran or authentic Sunnah. Number six, we have to believe in the divine decree. We have to believe in Al Qadr, right? And belief in Al Qadr includes four things. Number one, the belief that Allah knows all things in general and in detail from eternity to eternity, whether that has to do with His actions or the actions of His slaves. First and foremost part of Qadr is that to do with Allah's ilm, that He knows every single thing. Secondly, Allah has written in the Allah al-Mahfuz, the book of decree, everything that's going to happen. It's already been written and decreed. Hadith says Allah wrote down the decrees of creation 50,000 years before He created the heavens and the earth. So whatever was going to happen has already been written in the book of decree 50,000 years before Allah created, or He started the creation. Number three is that we believe that whatever happens only happens by the will of Allah. This is very important and very powerful that we understand that nothing happens except by the will of Allah. 
Whether that has to do with his actions or the actions of created beings, nothing happens except by the decree and the will of Allah Azza wa Jal. And number four is, we believe that all things that happen are created by Allah in their essence, their attributes, and their movements. Right? So, subhanAllah, this is just a brief run-through of the, the, the main points of, you know, this, the, the belief in this, the six pillars of Iman. Each point can be elaborated upon. Each point can be, you know, we can bring many ahadith that speaks about it, many ayat of Quran, and we can get to a lot of detail. Right? As we can cover in a, in a aqidah lessons, inshallah ta'ala, when we get there, or when we get around to doing that once again. These things have been covered, and it is available on the website and so forth. Um, Alhamdulillah. Um, the second description, so the first description is Iman. True, sincere Iman, which includes all the six branches of Iman. Number two is the second description of the people that are excluded from being in loss are الصالحات, the people who do righteous deeds. So this is the second, the second description. The first description is true Iman. The second description is there are people of righteous deeds. Righteous deeds, firstly, is something general. It includes all good deeds. Salah, zakah, fasting, hajj, etc. Birul walidain, many, all of the good deeds. However, this also includes the two conditions for each act of worship. No worship is, is accepted unless these two conditions are, are fulfilled. Number one is ikhlas, sincerity for the sake of Allah. No riya, no showing off, no seeking reputation. It's done for the sake of Allah. That's point number one. Famous hadith that we all know. We have to have ikhlas. We do this for the sake of Allah. If it's done out of riya, it's rejected. And there are many evidences for this as well. Number two is it has to be in accordance with the sunnah. That whatever we are doing is from the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa If it's not from the sunnah, it's also rejected. As per the hadith, man ahdatha fi amrina hadha ma laysa minhu fa huwa rad. And the hadith, man amila amalan laysa alayhi amruna fa huwa rad. Whosoever introduces anything into this deen of ours, it will be rejected. And whosoever does any action that's not from our actions, will, it, will have, it will be rejected. Yani it will become a bid'ah. If it's not sunnah, it's bid'ah. So, before we do anything, we have to fulfill ikhlas. Intention must be sincere. And then we have to make sure it's in accordance with the sunnah. If it's not in accordance with the sunnah, it's not a valid act of worship. It will not be considered as amilu salihat. It will be a deed, but not a righteous deed. Because a righteous deed has to have these two conditions. And there are many, many, many examples of bid'ah. Famous example coming up is the celebration of the birthday of Rasulullah People believe this is a form of love. They believe this is an act of worship which was never done by any of the prophets or any of the great sahaba or the tabi'een or the atwa'u tabi'een or the four imams of the madhahib or the six great imams of hadith or any of the great imams um, of the early generations. The first people to celebrate the mawlid was the Fatimid Shia regime who were a blasphemous group who were upon disbelief. And they did this to imitate the Christians who were celebrating the birth of, of Isa alayhi salam which obviously does not mean it's permissible. Um, so for many reasons it's not permissible, and one of the main reasons is it's not from the sunnah, and therefore it's not a righteous deed, and Allah knows best. So, amilu salihat is description number two. Description number three is, watawasaw bilhaq. They advise each other to truth. They advise each other to truth, meaning they advise each other towards the truth. What is the truth? Some say this is the sharia. 
the Shara'ah. This is the deen of Allah, the legislation. Some said it's Tawheed, like Ibn Abbas, some said it is the Quran. All of this is valid. They are all similar in their meaning. The Quran is Tawheed. Tawheed is the Quran. The Sharia is based on the Quran. So all of this is valid interpretations that they advise each other towards the truth. This is so important. Whenever they see another doing something wrong, they advise him either to fulfill an obligation or to abstain from a forbidden matter. If they see their brother doing something haram, they stop him, they advise him, Ya Akhi, ittaqillah, fear my brother, fear Allah. This is haram, stay away from it. If they see their brother leaving off a wajib, Ya Akhi, you did not pray. Fear Allah, make salah, it's time for salah, or let's come with me to the masjid, and so forth. You see your brother looking at haram, you advise him, my brother, fear Allah, look, you know it's haram, it should be done, smoking, etc. Whatever it is, they advise each other towards the truth. And this is the higher level. This is the higher level. You see, the first two things Allah mentions is iman and good deeds. And that's a certain level which is good. And that's, the, that's where we need to start. Our iman and we do righteous deeds. But we need to get to the next level, inshallah, which is we now start to do da'wah. And we start to invite people towards the haqq. We encourage them to follow the truth. So this group of people that Allah mentions, they do not only benefit themselves, but look to benefit others as well. And this is again a higher level. Allah mentions, even if you go back in the previous ayat, Allah speaks about those who Indeed, those who say, Allah is our Lord, and then they remain steadfast. That's like iman and righteous deeds. They have a certain promise from Allah of Jannah and so forth. And we will, Allah says we will be the awliya in the life of this world and in the akhirah. And they will get whatever they desire and so forth. And then Allah says, وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ قَوْلًا مِمَّا دَعَى إِلَى اللَّهِ But who is better? Who can be better than the one who calls to Allah? He invites to Allah. And he does righteous deeds. وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا And he says, وَقَالَ إِنَّنِي مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ Indeed, I am from the Muslimin. So this is the higher level. That we don't just benefit ourselves and do good deeds and keep things quiet. Rather, we encourage the truth. And this is what we call Al-Amru Bil-Ma'roof Wa-Nahi Anil Munkar. This is a, a very important uh, principle of the deen and fundamental of the deen. That we encourage the good and we forbid the evil. One of the reasons Allah speaks about that this ummah, Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat nas. Indeed, you're the best ummah that was sent to people, to mankind. Why? Allah then says, He describes the best ummah. Who are they? What are the characteristics? They encourage the good, command the good, they, and they forbid the evil, and they truly believe in Allah. This is a true believer. This is the best of people. Subhanallah. So we don't only worry about ourselves. We start with ourselves, we rectify ourselves, but we also encourage the good. We also, when we see haram, we try to stop the haram. We try to forbid the evil. When we see, you know, when we see an opportunity to spread khair and goodness, we take the opportunity and we spread khair and goodness. This is the way a Muslim should be. And this is part of nasiha. This is part of spreading goodness. This is part of loving for your brother what you love for yourself. That when you see him wrong, you direct him. When you see him giving up or missing out on wajibat, you encourage him. And so forth. Utmost importance, this part of the the surah as well. They advised each other to the truth, towards the truth. 
And the fourth description is And they advise each other to patience Subhanallah So they don't only advise towards goodness Or to the haqq Or to the Quran Or the Tawheed And to the Sharia They also advise towards patience They advise each other with patience They encourage each other to have sabr What is patience? Patience is to prevent the nafs From doing that which is not befitting Patience is to stop one's nafs from doing that which is not befitting. Somebody abuses you, either you can abuse them back or you can have sabr and stop, stop yourself, curb yourself, persevere, endure, as opposed to coming, you know, belittling yourself back to the, down to their level and responding. No. So have sabr. Somebody says something that you dislike, instead of reacting wildly, have sabr. You know, somebody does something that, 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 that might... Uh, provoke you in some way Have sabr Have sabr Hold Stop your nafs from doing that Which is not befitting Whether it's swearing Whether it's fighting back Whether it's doing something in return It can be so many things But sabr is something of the One of the greatest virtues That a person can have And this is what it is To prevent this, the nafs From doing anything That's not befitting So you stop yourself Before you end up in regret Before you end up in anger Or in regret and so forth you stop yourself, you limit yourself. This is sabr. So, they advise each other with sabr. The scholars also mentioned that sabr is of three types. There are three different types of sabr. Number one is, sabr ala ta'atillah. Sabr in the obedience of Allah. And this requires sabr. Sabr is not only in difficulties. Sabr is also required when we worship Allah. In the obedience of Allah. And how true this statement is, that we don't realize that this is also a type of sabr. So for example, to pray in the masjid requires sabr. Right? We have to leave earlier, take wudu, get ready, get in the car, drive to the masjid, or walk to the masjid. That requires sabr. It's easier just to pray at home. Hmm? It requires sabr. To wear the hijab for some females requires sabr. It's hot. It's this, it's that. It requires sabr. To wear the niqab, a higher level. Requires sabr, it's sometimes difficult, sometimes it's a little bit awkward for them, depending. But, requires sabr. And so many examples. Fasting, requires sabr. Giving zakah for some people is difficult. For them, upon their nafs, it may be difficult. So what? They need sabr. And this ayah is telling us that not just to wish, must we have sabr, we must encourage each other with sabr. So when we see a brother is lazy for the masjid, we encourage him. With sabr, have sabr and come. When we see him not praying, have sabr and pray. When we see him, you know, not fulfilling something, we encourage him with sabr. Not just with the truth, but also with sabr. Because with sabr comes ease. With sabr, Allah opens up. Secondly, we have sabr ala ma'asiyatillah. That there is sabr, another type of sabr is against the prohibitions of Allah. That sometimes our nafs is tested with regards to some type of haram. For example, some people are invested into haram like riba. It requires sabr to get out of it. To stick to that which is halal. To live a harder lifestyle perhaps. For, for simple example, some people rent as opposed to getting a bond which is haram. That requires sabr. It requires a lot of sabr. But the reward is of course with them. It's magnified tenfold. The more the sabr, the more the reward. The more you sabr, the more your reward. And so we encourage each other with sabr. 
you see the brother struggles to not to look at haram you encourage him with sabr allow you guys akhi you know fear allah allow you guys have sabr have sabr and allah will open up his doors without a doubt allah opens up the more we have sabr the more the greater the reward the, the greater allah responds in kind so that's another type of sabr that we need is against the prohibitions of allah whatever it may be that our weakness is everybody has different weaknesses if it's women if it's cigarettes if it's music whatever it may be it requires sabr to give it up right and also this is what we encourage each other with to have sabr upon the you know against the prohibitions of allah to have sabr in the obedience of allah and thirdly we have sabr with the decree of allah ala aqdarillah wa ala qadrillah sabr with the decree of allah you know everything happens with the decree of allah as we said we don't blame time because we know it only happened by the decree of Allah. But sometimes we go through difficulty. Sometimes Allah tests a person, the loss of a child. It's a great test, a great test. What do we say to them? What can we say to them other than, have sabr ya akhi. Qadr It's the decree of Allah. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi We advise them to, to say these things. It's the decree of Allah. We accept the decree of Allah. You know, everything belongs to Allah. He gives what He wants. He takes what He wants. And so forth. Now we encourage people with the sabr of Allah. Have an accident, have a sickness, have this difficulty, business went through this hardship. What do we encourage each other with to keep each other going? To have sabr for the sake of Allah. This is the decree of Allah. We accept it, we are pleased with it, and we carry on. You know, Alhamdulillah. And this is what this is the, the amazing affair of the believer that he has sabr with his, with his difficulties. Tayyib. So, we also encourage each other with sabr. This is of utmost importance. This keeps the brotherhood together. Ash-Shafi'i rahimahullah, he said about the surah, if the people were to ponder on the surah, it would be sufficient for them. That's what we mentioned in the beginning. We said we're going to mention it at the end. What is meant by this? If people were to ponder over this surah, that would be sufficient for them. What does he mean by this? He means as an admonishment. Not in place of the Sharia, there's, there's nothing. If we just had the Surah, it's, it's sufficient. Meaning that we don't need the rest of the Sharia. No, it doesn't mean that. It means as an admonishment, if people were to ponder over the Surah, they would find what's sufficient for them, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, if they understood the Surah well enough. Then this would be enough as an admonishment for them. Yani, it would be sufficient for them in regards to their Iman. Because the, the, the Surah mentions Iman. So we know we need to be of them. We don't want to be of the losers that Allah swore by by, by time that indeed the insan is in loss. So we, would, we want to be of the exceptions. We want to be the, the, the excluded ones from that, those who are in loss. Who are they? The people of Iman. What is Iman? The six pillars of Iman. Iman is speech, it's qawl, it's amal, it's actions, it's deeds, it's what's in the heart. Iman is all of these things. Iman is so broad. So when we study and we know what Iman is, this ayah, this surah reminds us about all of these factors of Iman. It reminds us about righteous deeds. It reminds us about righteous deeds. الصالحات, and they do righteous deeds. It reminds us about advice towards the haqq. That we firstly start with ourselves, of course. We follow the haqq. We do what's right. We abstain from haram. And we advise each other with this. We advise each other with this. We forbid the evil, we command the good, and so forth. We do da'wah, we do nasiha to our brothers and sisters in Islam. And we advise others with patience. 
So we firstly show patience. We try to endure and, be, and persevere and we encourage others with this. If a person can incorporate these four things, belief, firm, sincere, unwavering belief, righteous good deeds, calls each other to the haqq and follows the haqq and calls each other with patience and has patience, this, this will be like a complete believer. This is the complete believer. There's nothing else that he needs. He has sabr. Whatever comes his way, he's sabr. Bala, sabr. Sin comes his way, sabr. He abstains. Good deed comes, he has sabr and he perseveres and he pushes through. The haqq comes, he wants the haqq. He doesn't want batil. He does what's right in the sense of what's wrong. And he benefits others as well. At the same time, he's always doing righteous deeds and he's a true believer. This is the complete believer. The way Allah described it here is the complete believer. This is what we should be striving for. So a person who truly understands the surah and he ponders over the surah, it will be sufficient for him as an admonishment, as a reminder, as an advice. This is what the great Imam al-Shafi'i is saying about the surah. The four issues that every person should know about are mentioned in the surah. This was stated by Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah in his book Usul Thalatha. In the beginning of the book he mentions this, that there are four things that every person must know. Number one is about knowledge. Every person must know the importance of knowledge and increase in knowledge. Knowledge about Allah, knowledge about the Prophet knowledge about the deen of Allah. This is something that we must always be seeking. Increase in your knowledge of Allah, increase in your knowledge of the Prophet increase in your knowledge of the deen of Islam. It includes amal. The second thing every person must know about is the importance of action. We don't just have knowledge. We don't just seek knowledge. We have to follow it up with righteous deeds. Act upon your knowledge. Act upon your knowledge. The third thing people must know about is da'wah. Once you sought knowledge, you act upon your knowledge, then comes da'wah to others. Spread the knowledge. Invite others to Islam. Call your fellow Muslims back to the correct path. Encourage them with good. Forbid them from the evil. Da'wah. And the fourth thing that we must then know is As-sabru ala al-adhafi Have patience upon the harms of da'wah Because da'wah is not a bed of roses Da'wah is not easy Da'wah comes with difficulty It comes with harm People speak bad about you People accuse you People belie you People abuse you People refuse to listen to you People mock you They scoff at you Look at the lives of the Anbiya And that will be sufficient So da'wah requires a lot of patience A lot of patience Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahab, he mentioned these four points, which are powerful, valid points. Every person must know about the importance of these four things. And he mentioned that all four are found in the surah. The people of Iman. How can we have Iman except that we have knowledge? There's no true Iman except that you know what Iman is, that you sought knowledge about Iman. Subhanallah. So on that point, this is ilm. Ilm is, comes before Iman. Amal. Wa'amilu salihat. They do, do righteous deeds. They encourage each other to the truth. This is da'wah. And they encourage others to sabr. This is patience. That they're having sabr upon whatever harms. And they encourage others to have sabr as well. Subhanallah. This comes from the surah as well. Short, concise, but so powerful. But so powerful. Um, in surah Balad, Allah also mentions another way of advising. And then being among those who believed and advise one another with patience. We've spoken about this. And advise one another with compassion. With marhamah. 
with compassion and mercy. So advising each other, we've, we've learned three things. We advise each other with the haqq, with the truth, and towards sabr, and thirdly, towards compassion and mercy. And this is how we unite the ummah. This is how we become one unified body. When we call to the haqq, we don't call to batil, we don't call to innovation and bid'ah and shirk, we don't call to falsehood, we call to the truth. We call each other with sabr, we demand each other with sabr, and we demand each other with mercy and compassion. If we can incorporate these three things in our da'wah, in our call, in ourselves first and foremost, and then towards others, this is what will bring this ummah together and unite the hearts, bi'idhnillah ta'ala, and this is what this surah is teaching us, and of course that I in surah Balad as well, in terms of advising, and Allah Azza wa Jal ultimately knows best. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after this brief commentary of this short, concise, but powerful surah, that He grants us an understanding of the surah, that He makes us of those who protects and preserves their time and makes the most of their time, and that He does not make us of those who are in severe and grave loss, that He makes us of the true believers who do righteous deeds and who call others and themselves towards the haqq, who follow the haqq, and towards sabr, and towards compassion and mercy. Amin ya rabbal alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahuma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha ilaha anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Until next week, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala, we will cover surah al-humazah. InshaAllah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhum.